Tonight, it was his first solo day on the job. The police officer killed in the line of duty in small town Ontario. Hero to the end. I seen that young man lying on the ground. And profiling the prime suspects, one was out on bail. I'm outraged. Canadian travelers stranded until the new year. Something's going on and they gotta fix it. While on American streets, the military enforces a no-go zone. Plus, the hockey hoopla out east. It's electric in there. Everybody's having a good time at all the games. Fan fest at the World Juniors as Team Canada looks for a reset. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, Joy Malbin. Good evening, everyone. The rookie police officer fatally shot while on duty in rural southwestern Ontario is being remembered as a wonderful officer with a heart of gold. 28-year-old Constable Greg Pershala was gunned down while responding to a vehicle in a ditch. Accused of the killing, 25-year-old Randall McKenzie and 30-year-old Brandy Stewart Sperry both face first-degree murder charges. CTV's Adrian Gobriel spent today in the heartbroken community and spoke with one of the first witnesses to come across yesterday's tragic scene. Forensic investigators hope this windswept rural road in southern Ontario will divulge some of the disturbing details that's led to the latest killing of an on-duty Canadian police officer. I thought he was hit the way his car was parked. I thought maybe somebody ran into him. I didn't realize it was a shooting. Resident Brian Gunn is struggling to come to terms with what he witnessed with his own eyes. I could see he was face down. Then I seen the one pickup truck smashed into the other pickup truck. And then they both took off. And I was, while I was getting on my car, I thought, my God, I better not. Maybe something's seriously wrong. So I didn't. And I drove away and it's haunted me. I can't, I cannot believe it. This is the suspect vehicle behind me. Yesterday, Constable Prashala was arriving here for a call for a vehicle in a ditch. That's when he was shot and killed. Today, police are here, forensic units trying to piece together exactly what happened using 3D imaging. I can tell you that the officer was essentially ambushed and stood absolutely no chance of being able to defend himself. Just hours before he was shot, Constable Greg Prashala had just received word that he'd completed his year-long probation and was made a permanent member of the Ontario Provincial Police. This kid was made for community policing. He had the, he just had the, the gentleness that every police officer needs when it comes to that kind of, kind of work. An accomplished wrestler at York University, before fulfilling his dream with the OPP, Richella served as a special constable at Ontario's provincial legislature and as a reservist for the Canadian Armed Forces. What I remember about him the most is, you know, and, and you know, he's just he's, he's compassion and caring. 25-year-old Randall McKenzie and 30-year-old Brandy Stewart Sperry have each been charged with first-degree murder. McKenzie, who was previously released on bail and had a warrant out for his arrest, had already been sentenced to nearly three years in jail for assault with a weapon and theft of a motor vehicle in 2018. The fact he was out on bail and as a result killed one of your officers allegedly what is your thoughts i'm outraged i'm outraged by the fact that mckenzie was out on bail and was provided the opportunity 
to take the life of an innocent officer. Chris Chella had dreamed of joining the force since he was just five years old. He's now the fourth officer to be shot dead in Ontario since September. Joy? Just devastating. Adrian Gobriel near Hagersville, Ontario tonight. On our website, we have reaction from the Prime Minister and others who knew Constable Pershala. Just go to ctvnews.ca. The deep freeze that blanketed Canada and parts of the U.S. is giving way to warmer weather and rain, raising fears of a rapid melt, while the travel meltdown on both sides of the border is still very much a reality. CTV's John Venavalli Rao reports. From piles of unclaimed lost luggage to stranded passengers and the U.S. National Guard making wellness checks in snowbound Buffalo, days after that massive holiday storm, it's still causing major trouble. We're a little frustrated. Those continuing frustrations at Toronto's Pearson can be seen with the luggage building up and passengers like Tim Atkinson still hunting for their bags. He flew in December 19th from Australia where it's summer but his suitcase still hasn't been found. My bag is all my winter clothes, my, um, my regular clothes and my Christmas gifts. A broken luggage belt at Pearson and extreme cold last weekend continues to have a ripple effect while hundreds of Sunwing passengers remain stuck in places like Cancun, Mexico. Our uh, nightmare started on December 24th. Cody Thorne was supposed to fly home with his family Christmas Eve and has yet to be able to get out. I've managed to book uh, another flight out of here. However, there's a lot of people that aren't in a fortunate position like us that can do that. Canada's transport minister in a tweet said the ongoing situation is unacceptable. And the head of an air passenger rights group making this suggestion. If you cannot get home on Sunwing, buy a ticket on a different airline and make Sunwing pay for it. Take them to small claims court. South of the border, the problems for Southwest Airlines keep mounting. A day after the airline CEO apologized, the carrier canceled another 2,500 flights today and more than 2,300 for Thursday after scrubbing more than 10,000 since the weather hit, leaving some passengers sleeping in airports. Every time the text bings, I'm like... <gasps> Another delay, another cancel, don't cancel. While in Buffalo, New York, the mayor now says the blizzard may end up being the worst storm in that city's recorded history. There were at least 37 weather-related fatalities, with fears that number may yet go up. As for those Canadians stuck in Mexico, Sunwing says it hopes to get the remaining stranded customers home in the next few days. Joy. The travel nightmare continues. Thanks, John. Over on the West Coast, the flood risk remains as high as the tide. B.C. Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy on the short-term forecast and the long-term risk. Heavy rain, strong winds and a king tide. On B.C.'s south coast, that punishing combination flooded low-lying properties and filled streets with water. Quite something to see this. Mother Nature, eh? Yesterday's storm and exceptionally high tide also closed Vancouver's seawall, the popular destination off-limits because it was deemed too dangerous to use. We can't deny that there's climate change. Scientists have long linked global warming to rising global sea levels. Sea level rise is intimately associated with climate warming. Earth scientist John Clegg is an expert in natural hazards and sea rise. We're seeing this problem right now, and that should concern people. A warming climate can cause glaciers to melt and ocean water to warm. Both contribute to surging seas. 
Clegg says Canada's ocean levels are going up three to four millimeters a year, and even a small increase has the potential to impact coastlines. We know uh, that as climate warms, it's going to accelerate, it's going to become faster, and that, you know, we've got a plan for a future where the sea is higher. A team of scientists from NASA recently analyzed nearly three decades of satellite data and found sea levels are likely rising faster than previously thought. The NASA study suggests sea levels along U.S. coastlines could rise by about 30 centimeters come 2050. With that, coastal communities across North America, including Canada, are being encouraged to plan for potential impacts. Bottom line is, we need to begin to look at our protective infrastructure. We have to think about how we're going to protect our low-lying areas. As for the storms that have been battering B.C., while more rain is in the forecast, Environment Canada says it likely won't be as extreme. Melanie Nagy, CTV News, Vancouver. In Alberta, it's unclear if the buildup of snow was a factor in this train derailment near Tabor. No one was injured and no hazardous materials were involved. But one person was killed and nine others sent to hospital last night in this fiery 14-vehicle pileup near Airdrie, Alberta. The cause? Icy roads and heavy fog. Fog was also a culprit in central China. Nearly 300 cars and trucks plowed into each other in a massive pileup, leaving scores injured and at least one person dead. In response to China opening up travel again in the middle of a new COVID surge, the U.S. is imposing new restrictions. Starting January 5th, passengers from China will need a negative test result. Four other countries are also reimposing the rules. But for Canada, no change yet. There are questions tonight about the health of Pope Benedict, who retired almost a decade ago. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver on the concerns raised by his successor at the Vatican. In his last general audience of the year, Pope Francis revealed his predecessor, Pope Emeritus Benedict, is very sick and asked for prayers. May the Lord sustain him in this witness of love for the Church until the end. The Vatican won't say much about Pope Benedict's condition, but says that in recent hours, the 95-year-old's health has deteriorated. The very first time that the Pope Francis talked about the Pope Benedict like that, uh, using this word, uh, um, saying that he is very ill, so we can take it as a very serious alert. The Pope's unscripted remarks are being seen as a sign the former pontiff's death may be imminent. Unidentified health issues prompted his surprise retirement in 2013. It was just the second ever and the first retirement in 600 years. Though Pope Francis also has medical issues and used a wheelchair throughout his most recent trip to Canada, Francis has dismissed rumours about his desire to retire. It's obviously, he's advanced in age, but he's got a full programme next year. And, uh, and nobody believes that he will re- resign right now. What the Vatican is planning in the case of Benedict's death is uncertain. But Vatican experts anticipate his funeral will be much smaller. Unlike the last funeral held in 2015 for Pope John Paul II, this time there will be no smoke ceremony afterwards. It will be, I think, much more limited than you would normally have because normally when a pope dies, all the cardinals from all over the world come to Rome because they're not just burying a dead pope, 
they're electing the next pope. After speaking with the public, Pope Francis visited the former pontiff whose condition is stable. But some Vatican watchers, Joy, say that friendly act could also be a final goodbye. All right, Annie, in London tonight. And it's been a consequential year for the current pope. We'll explore that later, but coming up in two minutes. Jail time for the far-right militiaman who got the wrong idea. Today, the last of the plotters in that wild plan to kidnap Michigan's governor was given the longest prison sentence yet. Barry Croft, a Delaware trucker, was sentenced to more than 19 years in prison. The judge described Croft as the so-called spiritual leader behind a far-right conspiracy to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and government officials, hoping to spark a reign of terror that would set off violence across America before the 2020 presidential election. While fresh from making his case in Washington for more weapons support, Ukraine's president is urging residents to evacuate from the city of Kherson. Liberated just six weeks ago, today Russia stepped up its assault. CTV's Vanessa Lee has more. Russia is intensifying attacks on Ukraine, firing 33 rockets at civilian targets in the last 24 hours, shelling the maternity ward of a hospital in Kherson. Miraculously, no one was hurt. Two babies were born just before the attack. The head obstetrician says, I don't want to think about what could have happened. Literally half an hour before, the doctors had left the surgery room. The government is now offering cash and train rides, urging people to leave. The Kremlin says no peace plan is possible, unless it includes the annexation of four regions, including Kherson. Russian troops withdrew from the city last month. Scrambling to make gains, they shifted east to Bakhmut, which has become the heart of fierce fighting. Only a few civilians remain in the city normally home to 70,000. President Volodymyr Zelensky says there is no place that is not covered with blood. In his annual address to parliament today, Zelensky says the war has strengthened Europe's unity. And no one in the West will ever be afraid of Russia. New Year celebrations in Moscow are scaled down, with symbols of the war inescapable. A brutal winter ahead for those who are sticking it out. There is no heat, no light, nothing. These are the conditions we live in, she says. In addition to a $44 billion aid package for Ukraine, the U.S. is also working to stop Iran from providing drones to Russia. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Washington. Still ahead tonight, Pope and Pilgrim. Revisiting the historic papal visit as we count down our top 10 stories of the year. We're taking a look back tonight at 
an emotional journey. The Pope called it his pilgrimage of penance for church-run residential schools. With number four in our top ten stories of the year, here's CTV's Jill Mackachon. For six days, Pope Francis listened as survivors spoke of a dark past. Elders, once children, ripped from their families and stripped of their culture and language. An act the Pope called genocide. I condemned this taking children away, trying to change their culture, their minds, change their traditions, erase an entire culture. I asked for forgiveness for this activity, which was genocide. For Pope Francis, this was his first official trip to Canada, honoring the requests of survivors, elders and leaders who had visited the Vatican in spring. A papal apology generations in the making. Finally delivered at the Vatican and a promise to travel and say it in person in the homeland of the people who were hurt. This today was a day I will never forget for the rest of my life. My heart is so full I can hardly speak. The theme of the visit was walking together. And here was a Pope who can hardly walk but determined to come and be with them because he felt this was something essential to them and essential to him as Pope. The first stop, Alberta, Masquachis, and the former site of one of Canada's largest residential schools. I have come to your native lands to tell you in person of my sorrow. Asking forgiveness, he said, I am deeply sorry. I started crying because... um, So much happened within our communities. A lot of people were hurt, a lot of damage to so many different people. In a symbolic and controversial move, Pope Francis was gifted a headdress by a chief, a man who has been demanding this apology for decades. We sincerely hope that our encounter this morning and the words you share with us will echo the true healing and real hope throughout many generations to come. Fighting arthritic pain, Pope Francis visited the pilgrimage site at Lac St. Anne in a wheelchair. This land has been used by generations. The water of the lake is believed to offer healing. We thank you for the gift of the creation, especially for the water. Indigenous people were the first to find power in the water, calling this Wakamne, or God's Lake. So I think it's fitting that the Pope is here to bless the lake and give some forgiveness for what they've done. The crowd size is smaller than anticipated at each scheduled appearance, yet even with tight security and sweltering summer heat, the faithful gathered. Pope Francis held mass at Commonwealth Stadium. This stop to connect with Catholics, he offered blessings to babies and children. Unexpected experience that the Pope was able to touch him. Criticized for not speaking directly of the church's sexual abuse scandals in Alberta, in Quebec City, inside Canada's oldest basilica, Notre Dame de Quebec, the Pope said it publicly to the Catholic clergy. I think in particular of the sexual abuse against minors and vulnerable people, crimes that require firm action and an irreversible commitment. Across provinces, the calls for action continued. Demands for the church to rescind the doctrine of discovery, centuries-old papal edicts justifying colonization. What this doctrine does, it gives the Vatican, or anyone who is a Catholic, the manifest destiny, the God-given right and authority to do as they please, 
take what they want no matter how they need to take it. Yet despite the church's attempts to erase a culture and language, it thrived. From the south to the far north, the Pope arrived in Iqaluit and offered his apology in Anuktitut. I want to tell you how very sorry I am and to ask forgiveness for the evil perpetrated by not just a few Catholics. Today there are continued demands for more accountability and compensation by the Catholic Church. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops says it is working to provide documentation to residential school survivors and researchers. And a reconciliation fund with a five-year, $30 million target has now raised $9 million in just over a year. He's made very clear to the bishops, you now have a task, and you have a task to work with the government to rebuild relations with the, people, with the indigenous peoples and restore what they have lost. The apology is just a first step in a historic wrong that continues to hurt generations. Jill Mackishon, CTV News, Winnipeg. And we're headed east after the break for the World Juniors. The puck stops here. Well, the best of the next generation of hockey players have descended on Halifax and Moncton to battle it out on blades at the World Junior Championships. So tonight, CTV's Atlantic Bureau Chief Creason Adjkate looks at the ripple effects on and off the ice. They take to the ice now in Halifax. It was another packed house as Canada crushed Germany with a huge win. A big bounce back for the team after losing their first game against the Czech Republic. Everybody's having a good time at all the games. Regardless if it's Canada or not, people are having fun. Go Canada, go! Go Canada, go! Go Canada, go! Go Canada, go! This year's World Juniors Championship, originally planned for Russia, was pulled after its invasion of Ukraine. The games later awarded to Halifax and Moncton on the 20th anniversary of its last time in the Maritimes. To come into a rink, a junior hockey rink, in a town that loves its junior hockey that much and the place is full for every game, it's just so great. While excitement is building, Hockey Canada's sexual assault controversy still hangs over the country's favourite pastime. But for the businesses who have struggled to survive the pandemic, the World Juniors couldn't come soon enough. Having everyone in the city, so many people coming through the restaurant, it's really bringing life back into what we kind of lost. And everyone here has a special reason for taking in the game. It's just the Canadian culture. We want to go out. We want to support the people playing for our country. This is a family reunion for Michael Tufts after the pandemic and restrictions and then losing his father to cancer last September. If you see him, you probably know him. His dad's friends, who are now like uncles to him, are celebrating in his memory. Go Canada, go! Every game he'd watch, every single thing. It's, uh, it's kind of crazy thinking about it now because it still doesn't seem real, but uh, I know he's rooting for you, Canada. With more than a week left, the fans have more energy to give as Team Canada fights for another gold. Let's go! Chris Natchkate, CTV News, Halifax. And that is our newscast for this Wednesday. Thank you for watching, and we hope to see you again tomorrow.